Well, good morning. For those of you who came in late or maybe are just joining us online, I'm Pastor Graham, and I'm so glad that you could be here with us today. We are continuing our series on I Am. In fact, this is the last installment of our series in the I Am series. So before we, uh, we get into it, uh, let's, let's pray and just make sure our hearts are ready. Lord God, we love you. We come before you just as we are. We're ready to receive God because you are a God who loves, a God who gives, a God who is present and acting. We believe, God, that you act in our hearts today, that you will be here with us, that you will speak to each one of us in the way that we need to hear to receive from you. In your name we pray. Amen. So our series has been focused on who Jesus is, who God is, and what that means for us. And I think that's a pretty good thing for us to be focused on, who, who God is. That is one of the, I can't think of anything better to be focused on. We've talked about God's name, I am who I am, from Exodus 3, and how this is both a statement about the exclusivity of God, that he is the only God, but that it's also a statement about the flexibility of God and his promise to take care of our needs in any situation that we find ourselves in. We've looked at some of the other names that God has picked up for himself over the scriptures, how he is the God who heals, he is the God who provides, he's the God who sees, and that God is always who he needs to be. We've also talked about how Jesus took on this name of I am, and that he claimed to be God when he did so. We've spoken through the particular statements that Jesus has made on this topic. We've talked about, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. Today, though, we're going to take a different angle. Today, I, th I think we're going to get a little more practical. I think that's what this angle is. But we're going to talk about who God says we are. To that end, we're going to read a chapter from the letter to the Ephesians. Next week, we're going to be starting a new series on the book of Colossians. And Colossians and Ephesians have this really interesting symmetry. Today is a bit of a halfway message, then, you might say, between the Colossians series and the I Am series. Colossians and Ephesians are both highly focused on the unity of Christ and the church. But where Colossians focuses on the incredible perfection and power of the head, Ephesians is focused largely on the privilege, the duty, and the calling of the body. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 to give us sort of an overview of who we are in Christ. And then I'm going to highlight some things from the chapter to give us a few things to just hold on to. So I'll read here Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
in love he predestined us for son for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ in him we also were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory for this reason ever since i heard about your faith in the lord jesus and your love for all god's people i have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers i keep asking that the god of our lord jesus christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come and god placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way well have a great week i could be done there wow there are three main themes that I'd like to draw out of this passage. We'll support and expand them with some other passages of scripture, but as I was working through this, I just couldn't get out of my head this imagery of this person who was in prison, you in prison, and these themes as they bring us out of this prison. The first theme is what lets us stand up. Everything else comes from this this is the foundation the first theme is that we are loved we see this so clearly in verses 4 to 6 he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves and this is a theme that comes up again and again and again in the Bible and in the ministry of Jesus. God loves you. You are loved. And this isn't just 
a distant love either. The Bible says over and over that God loves us as his children. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And again, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. As God's child, this isn't dependent on your behavior or your performance. God loves you just as you are, and he receives you just as you are. We can say with confidence that God accepts you, flaws and all. A little later in the Gospel of John, in chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I know I quote that verse a lot, but I just can't get over the idea that God loves us so much that we have access to him at any time and that we are his children. If you hear nothing else today, take that home. That right there. That's the, the only thing I need you to take today. But keep listening, just in case. The last thing that I want to say about God's love for us is his nearness. It was astounding in the Old Testament that God made the temple in Jerusalem the place that housed his presence. Right? This is the God who created everything that God would choose a particular location to say, my presence will dwell especially there, that's really unusual, like in a good way. Like that's amazing that God would do that. But in the New Testament, the curtain that separates the people from the Holy of Holies in that temple where God's special presence dwelt is ripped in half. And because of what Jesus did for us, now God's special dwelling is with us. Individually, you and I. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. No longer a temple that is a building, but that you yourself are a temple. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. But let's talk about the second theme from this passage. To return to our analogy of a person in prison, if being loved lets us stand up, then the second theme is what takes off our bonds. It's what removes our shackles. It's what opens the prison doors. This is that we are forgiven. And we see this in verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The forgiveness of our sin is one of the central themes of Scripture. It gets illustrated in many ways, but one of the favorite images is that of washing. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, after going through a whole list of sins, 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, that is what some of what, so, what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
In Isaiah 118, a beautiful passage of Scripture, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What a beautiful image of washing. To have our sin washed away is to have removed from us that which separates us from God. But more than that, not only do we have our sin removed, we are also given righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Right? That's our forgiveness. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a, that's a whole different level. Forgiveness, the washing away of our sin, that's like being brought from however negative we were back to zero. But God didn't just put us back to zero. God brought us to 100. He gave us the very righteousness of God. This removal of sin and giving of a new righteousness is so complete that the Bible calls us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The Gospel of John refers to this as being born again, a new start, a fresh beginning, no longer clothed in the filth of our sin, but in the glorious riches of God's own righteousness. To be forgiven is to be free of all the evil that we have ever done or ever will do. I suspect we're not committing evil in this moment, so we'll skip over that. But all the sin we've ever done but ever will do. So if being loved lets us stand and being forgiven removes the shackles of the prison, then our third theme is what lets us fly away. The third theme is that we are called we see this in verse, starting in verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. We aren't just saved just so that we can enjoy God's presence when we go to heaven, when we die. God has things for us to do while we're on earth. The Apostle Paul wrestles with this in the letter to the Philippians when he speaks of being in chains and of the possibility of going to his death at the hands of his Roman captors. Paul is wrestling with his preferred outcome. On the one hand, to die means getting to go be with Jesus. But if he lives, he knows that he has important and valuable work to do. Paul eventually settles that he would rather continue his work Heaven will be there, but the work matters. And this applies to each one of us. Because, let's be fair, if it didn't, when it came time for baptism, we would just hold you under until the bubbles went away. Right? We would just baptize you and hold you down. Go be with Jesus. But that's not what we do. God has important work for us to do in this life, on this earth. And this is a core part of who we are in Jesus. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, that humans are created in the image and likeness of God. 
obviously to be made in the image of God, confers incredible value on humanity. All of humanity, any of us from the smallest to the oldest, no matter where you're from, all of us in the image of God, incredible value. But think a little farther. We're made in the image of the Creator. And that means that we too are made to create. We are made with hopes and dreams and imaginations. And God delights in all of our creativity, not only when it's applied to holy work, but to every good and healthy expression of human creativity. It all honors him. We also see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that God has prepared good works for you to do. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this idea that God has prepared good works for us in advance. God has sent you into whatever situation you find yourself so that you can do good and be his hands and feet in that situation. And he planned it. That is a great calling. The most important thing, though, that God has laid out for us is that we are to be witnesses of what he has done in our lives. When Paul spoke on, when Paul Boga, not Paul the Apostle, when Paul Boga spoke on Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, he brought up that Jesus also applies this statement to us. That's found in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul, the apostle, picks this up as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, he calls us living epistles. The epistles are the letters written to the church that we have collected in our Bibles. Have you ever heard the expression, you might be the only Bible some people read? Have you heard that? Come on, have you heard it? Have you heard that expression? Some of you have, some of you haven't. Some, you might be the only Bible that some people ever read. Here's what Paul says. You yourselves are our letter. Right? Letter and epistle. Same thing. Written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We are called not only to create and to do good works, but to love people and to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the love of God, the forgiveness of God, it changes lives. Amen? Amen. And there's only one way that we can live in this calling that God has given us. There's only one way that we can live up to this, only one way that we can be enough and it goes back to the very first I am statement that we looked at in this series. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Only by staying close to Jesus can we accomplish what God has laid before us. Only by praying more in private than we do in public. Only by reading our Bibles alone more than we do in church. Only in worship and praise and relationship with God in heaven can we hope to live up to this great calling. So this week, remember who God says that you are. You are loved. You are forgiven. And you are called. Live in that. Abide in the vine and bear much fruit. Let's pray. Lord God, we need you. Lord, you've laid a task before us. And it's a glorious task, God, to to be your people, to be your hands and feet in this world, to be your witnesses, to love people, to do good, to create all sorts of things that honor you. But God, it's so much bigger than us. Even as we sit here, we think of all of the reasons why we're inadequate to the task, why we couldn't possibly do what you've laid before us. We don't love enough. We're not creative enough. We're not generous enough. We're, there's all sorts of things, God, that we are not enough. But you are. We need you, God. We need you desperately. Be with us, God. Be with us this week as we go into the world. Light that fire that we may be your light in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.